Uh, so we've t uh, talked uh, uh, today about ADRA, and you expected me to do that, but let's also spend a few moments now at the end of our service uh, focusing on the Word, and in particular this uh, story in Second uh, Chronicles 20, if you want to go back uh, to your Bibles, uh, to that uh, exciting story, and uh, see uh, how it might uh, speak to our hearts today. Uh, here we have uh, back in the in the Old Testament, the story talking about the time of King Jehoshaphat. And uh, it was a bad news story because the enemies came to attack. And they were not a few either. In fact, it says in verse 2 that uh, the reports came to King Jehoshaphat and they said, there's a great multitude, or your translation might say, a vast army coming against you. How discouraging. Have you noticed that sometimes that in life you have uh, the daily troubles, but then there come those moments, and I pray that it's not happening often in your life, but when it seems like everything's happening at once, and all circumstances are against you, and your family is against you, and your friends are against you, and your colleagues are against you, and you've uh, lost financially, and maybe the car's broken down, and you've had uh, tragedy, pile upon tragedy, and it seems that the whole world is against you. You can deal, you think, with the little episodes of difficulty, but when everything pours down, as it happened in this story, how do you cope? And so uh, we have Joshua in verse 3 fearing or being alarmed. Uh, he was very concerned about what was happening. And uh, the devastation piled upon his heart. So what did he do? Well, it says there in verse 3 that he resolved to seek the Lord. He made a determination not to just panic but to find a solution, even if that solution was a solution outside of himself. And so he proclaimed a fast throughout all Israel, and he called everybody together. Uh, in the, if this were a New Testament story, the word would have been, he churched everybody, uh, because that's what our word church, which comes from ecclesia, calling people together, that's what it all means. So he got the church together to ask help from the Lord. He realized that this was a circumstance in which he, even as the king, did not have sufficient ability, power, or resources to make a difference. And so the people came together, and uh, he led everybody in corporate prayer. And uh, fortunately, someone was there taking notes. Um, I don't know if they had shorthand in those days. They definitely had better oral tradition than we do. And someone made note of his prayer, how he called upon God in this moment of their extremity. And I notice that as we uh, look at uh, about verse 6, as he's uh, uh, saying his prayer, the first thing that he does is to give praise to God. He remembers that God is sovereign. God is bigger then our problems. And God is God. He is sovereign. Do we practice that sovereignty of God? Are we aware of it? I know that in 
common day language almost everybody says oh god but when they say oh god what picture is in their mind is it of this all-powerful being now i know we're in a war and sometimes it doesn't look like god is all-powerful but we can recognize and christians do that god is sovereign and then as as uh, jehoshaphat is having his prayer he goes back in memory to evidences of god's sovereignty he goes back into history and he reminds god god we we recognize that you have intervened wonderfully in our past and we can get comfort that you had a friend whose name was abraham and that you established yourself your presence in his life and in the life of his descendants of whom we count ourselves and uh, of course because of that we've become your special people we recognize our relationship with you and so we've set this house of worship and the house of worship is a place where we come and we recognize that you are god the god of gods that you are our sovereign what a lovely picture of church it's a place where we can come in times of our distress whether our our corporate distress as a group of people where we come when we individually are beset with problems and we come and we worship god seeking god's intervention in our lives i tend to be a very matter of fact person so i'm looking at uh, concrete blocks and i'm looking at the electrical wires and i'm looking at glass i have to remind myself to look beyond those things that this building is a place where we come to call on the name of the lord and uh, so as he reminds himself of this story he digs into the covenant relationship that god has established uh, with the children of israel and he reminds god of course god doesn't need reminding but he reminds god that they have a covenant and in this covenant god is going to be uh standing up for them <clears throat> and then he he starts to uh analyze their current situation he's he's worshiped god now he gets to this difficulty that they're in and uh, so in verse 10 he says you know you have the people from ammon moab mount seir all these people they've come up against us and you can almost imagine him at this point pausing as his mind plays on the irony of the situation because the enemies that they're facing right now are the very people that they did not touch when they came back into Canaan to claim the land as God had promised them and they said and, and he said god you told us then not to disturb these people and we didn't <laughs> and yet here they are now attacking us the the sad fact is that sometimes life isn't fair <laughs> here joshua said you know we did the right thing we we did what you told us and still they're coming and it's just not fair lord and what are we supposed to do now sometimes we're cursed by our own good deeds isn't that ironic so don't be surprised if sometimes the good things that you do turn around and bite you don't blame the fact that you did a good thing that's not what's at fault 
What's fault, of course, is that people have chosen, because God gives us free will, people have chosen to take a wrong path. And so then in verse 12, uh, Jehoshaphat says, Oh God, will you not judge them? You, please. Uh, you know my opinion, I can almost hear him saying. But will you not judge them? And when he says judge, he doesn't mean just sitting there and... Yeah, yes, no, no. He means judge as actively intervene, please. For, and here he, he recognizes his own uh, helplessness. He says, we have no power against the great multitude that's come against us, nor do we know what to do. We just don't know what to do. And sometimes there's nothing like being able to admit that we don't know. I know our culture says otherwise. And we as parents, of course, generally are like to be able to tell our children that we know everything. And especially we would like to tell them what to do because we know. But there are times, and children, this may come as a shock, sometimes parents don't know what to do. Adults don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. But our eyes are upon you, says Jehoshaphat. Turn your eyes upon Jesus is that uh, lovely chorus that we sometimes sing. And the things of earth will go wonderfully dim in the light of his glory and grace. So the children of Israel stood there before God. They had this prayer by the king, their leader. Not sure what to do, but turning their eyes upon Jesus. Well, fortunately, God answered the prayer and he sent a message through a prophet, a prophet who had uh, a lineage. He was the son of the somebody of the son of somebody, son of somebody. We don't generally talk that way nowadays, do we? I don't say that I'm James, the son of David, the son of Lonnie, the same of Thomas, Richard, the son of, you know, we don't talk that way, but uh, that was very common in those days. And in some societies, even today, people know themselves uh, by uh, their family tradition. And this prophet comes and he says, yet don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed because, and this is in verse 15, the battle is not yours, but the Lord's. It's not your problem. Isn't that wonderful to, to hear that message? <laughs> it's not your problem. Because all too often it is our problem, or we think it's our problem. But in this case, God gave the message through a prophet, no, this time it's not your problem, it's his and then uh, down to verse uh, 17, you will not need to fight this battle. Isn't that wonderful? The responsibility is off. This is not something you have to do. Now, when we're s the children of Israel were told it wasn't something they had to do, but did that mean that they could go home? No. They were still engaged. They were, in fact, given very specific instructions. You need to go here, you need to go there, you need to look at this, you need to be actively engaged. When God takes care of us, he doesn't ask us to withdraw. He asks us to be a part of whatever solution he has in mind. And sometimes his solutions are rather bizarre and may take us by surprise. Certainly that's what happened in this story. So. The prophet said, it's not your problem, but you have a part to play. So get involved, but set off. 
So Jehoshaphat, of course, was very grateful. He bowed his head to the Lord in verse 18. And uh, all the people were very excited by this answer. And they began to praise. They had praise songs going on. And early in the morning, as instructed, uh, we're reading here in verse 20, uh, they went out to see what God was going to do. And uh, Joshua stood up in front of the people again, and he said, Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Have faith. I notice that uh, often in uh, popular culture, people say, Have faith. And every time I hear that, my brain is saying, have faith in what? Or have faith in whom? Because I hear people in popular culture just saying, have faith. Well, that to me doesn't make much sense. Have faith in whom? In this case, of course, Joshua is very clear. Have faith in the Lord God. He's the one who is going to do something for us. And he was saying that in faith. Because he had no idea what God was going to do. And he was in front of his people, confident, although his knees might have been knocking together in, uh, in fear. But still, in spite of his fear, he was having faith. And uh, he was directing them to believe the prophets. Believe the word that has been revealed to us. Accept the scriptures or the word as uh, the New Testament writers so often say, John especially uh, in his gospel. He says the word, in the beginning was the word. Believe the word. Because the word is in some wonderful way that uh, we can grapple with in our minds, but the Bible writers talk about it in some wonderful way. The word is God. The word was with God in the beginning. The word was God and was Jesus Christ. And then I, I must uh, be, uh, pick up on verse 21. It says the next thing was that uh, King Joshua consulted with his people. I find that encouraging. And it reminds me that those of us who have leadership positions, that our leadership is validated as we consult with people. It's all very well to sit up on your high throne, but uh, we don't all have the the necessary wisdom and the information, the knowledge. And Jehoshaphat recognized that. He consulted with his people. And as a result of that, he, he appointed a choir. Now I'm sure as a king, he would have been much more comfortable appointing the army chain of command. Because that's what kings are supposed to do. But here he appointed the choir. And they were to go in front of the army singing. Now, I think this must have been the strangest military exercise that you've ever heard about. When you read about stories of military action in whatever war, and I know right now we're having a period of time in which we remember the, uh, the uh, victories of the Second World War, in which, uh, particularly in the news you will hear, the part that Canadian soldiers played in bringing about the end of Nazi aggression in Europe um, 70 years ago. And uh, we think of those young, in many cases, teenage Canadians who were out there fighting. And we remember them with pride. Well, we certainly don't hear about choir members going in front of them uh, in a fight. But here in this particular military action, 
The choir went first <laughs> before the soldiers with their uh, uh, spears and swords and uh, shields and whatever else they had. And the choir sang this, this song. As a person who is very interested in music, I really would like to have heard that song. I suspect it would not have been uh, quite to my musical taste, but I certainly would have been interested to hear that hymn, Praise the Lord, for His mercy endures forever. And the choir marched out there in front. I, I wonder if they were a nervous choir, uh, because they weren't armed, and the soldiers were behind them with the spears and the, and the shields and so forth. But nonetheless, the choir went out singing the song, and behind them came the soldiers, and they came out to see an amazing sight. Because in some way that we don't understand, God had mixed the enemy all up. He had got two parts of the enemy to fight against the third part. And when they wiped out the third part, then they started to fight amongst themselves. And by the time the choir and King Jehoshaphat and uh, all the soldiers arrived, they discovered that everybody was dead or injured or was running away. There was no vast army anymore. There was a vast army of dead people. And they hadn't done a thing. It was the enemy who had attacked itself and caused the destruction and the end of this threat. So by the time Joshua and his men came, the only thing they had to do was to collect the loot. It seemed to be very much a part of, uh, of ancient military action up until, uh, well, it was definitely part of, uh, I, I was reading a history of the 14th century recently, and it was very much a part of 14th century battles in Europe that everyone seemed to take a lot of uh, their wealth with them to battle. Um, maybe the 20th century saw a change in that. Uh, but certainly in the history of uh, mankind, it seems that people went to war with a lot of goodies. And so as Jehoshaphat and his soldiers arrive, there they have all these dead enemies in front of them with all their goodies. And it took them three days to pick it all up and cart it off home. Uh, all the gold and jewels and silver and... Uh, uh, fine clothes and whatever else that uh, the enemy had. Uh, maybe pots and pans and all kinds of other things, food, whatever. And it took them three days to pick it all up. But I like what comes next because the fourth day they went to church. They went to pray and praise God for what they had been given. Instead of this devastation, this horrible attack, the vast army coming against them, they had been blessed with, uh, with the winning of the lottery for each member of the, of the Judah's kingdom. And they recognized that this was not their doing. It was the God in heaven who had arranged for this to happen. And so they came to praise him. And they blessed the Lord. Uh, in my uh, remarks at the beginning of uh, our time today I, I told you about some of the uh, exciting things happening in ADRA and about some of the wonderfully large grants that we have been able secu to secure from the Government of Canada and time and time again my colleagues and myself we recognize that this comes as a result of the hand of God. Now I happen to 
be very happy to tell you that we have some very competent and intelligent and skilled people in uh, the ADRA Canada office who work hard to write the proposals and the reports and the graphs and the charts and the uh, uh, log frames and all these technical things that have to be accomplished in order to make a request. You don't just go along to the government and say, write me a check, please. Uh, you have to fill up pages and pages and pages of technical data and all these things and, I, and we have skilled people in our office who do that. But beyond that, how is it that our small church, we're what, 65,000 people in Canada in, in a population of 35 million, whatever, we're, we're just a very small group of people. And how is it that we're able to pull these large grants, one, two, three, four million dollars at a time from the government of Canada? And I say, yes, I have a, a very skilled group of people in the office, but the real answer is, is the blessing of God. I remember when I worked in Africa in South Sudan and we worked in a, in a consortium of people because there was a war on in, in Sudan. Um, actually, there still is. But in those days, it was a civil war. Um, actually, it still is a civil war, but now it's a civil war in the South. And uh, we, we uh, worked in, in a, a consortium with the United Nations and other agencies. And one day there was a big meeting and after the meeting, the, the head of the United Nations Consortium uh, made an announcement and he said, uh, now after this meeting, I want the heads of the major agencies to stay behind. I want Oxfam, Save the Children, ADRA, World Vision, somebody else. And I went up to him as everyone was milling about and I said, excuse me, Dr. Sapra, but uh, ADRA is not one of the large agencies. So I, I think you made a mistake when you said who had to be in this meeting. We're not one of the... Oh, James, don't try and get out of your responsibilities. We know ADRA is a big organization and I expect you to be there in the meeting. Oh. Well, because I talked with my colleagues, I knew the size of the other agencies. I knew what their budgets were like. And many of them had budgets ten times what we had in the ADRA South Sudan office. Why then would Dr. Sapra tell us to come to a meeting? As I thought about it afterwards, I could only say, it's the blessing of God. They see something that I don't see. They see our, our colleagues in the field making a difference, having compassion and passion for those who are in poverty and distress and anxious to make a difference. And somehow the blessing of God is evident to others, even if I don't see it myself. And here, in this story of Jehoshaphat, we have a recognition that God blesses beyond what we can even see. So, in closing, what are the three, four ideas that I pick up from this chapter? Well, one, I recognize that the Lord wants us to bring our needs to Him. And that's what Jehoshaphat did, right? He got everybody together and took the problem to God. And then, secondly... We need to depend on God rather than our own resources. Uh, we don't have enough ourselves to face whatever the challenge is in our lives. But God can be depended on. Thirdly, we need to obey God even if there are difficulties or even if it doesn't make sense. When God says to come out and see his uh, glory, we will trust him. 
And lastly, we trust him to answer even if we don't see what the answer will be and if it will be an unexpected answer. Because sometimes God has surprises for us in the way that he will intervene. And this wonderful story showing how Jehoshaphat was, even though he was, was full of fear, was able to lead the people. They were able to put the choir in front of the army and they were able to go out and God honored that trust by working a tremendous victory for them. These are the victories that we can have in our own lives despite the difficulties that we may encounter.